All right, so tonight we're going to try the simple task of looking at 40 different passages <laughs> in the writings of Paul that have to do with prayer. Why do you all laugh? It's, it's only 6.40 according to the, watch, the clock over there in the back, so we have, we have some time uh, to go. <laughs> I changed the batteries, set the clock. And, now, so we, we are not going to look at 40 passages, but we, what we're going to talk about is built on 40 different passages in the New Testament, and we're going to look at some of them uh, tonight. We're going to be considering the subject of praying for others. That's, that's in our series. It's our fourth lesson, a uh, series on prayer, on reforming our prayer life, praying for revival. And the, the subject of praying for others is very important in the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, prayer is a lifeline to God, who, a God who answers according to His blessed will and wisdom. He promises to, to, to answer all the prayers of His people who come to Him in the name of Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 4 is a, is, a, is a proof of that, it's an evidence of that, when He encourages us to come with confidence before the throne of grace, because He will give us grace in time of, of need. And I think we really need a revival of prayer in our church. Uh, I think we need to, um, to be excited, to be encouraged, to be in prayer as a church, individually, but also publicly and corporately as we gather together. And so tonight we'll consider the importance of praying for others uh, besides ourselves. And to do that, we are going to ask the help of Paul. And uh, this whole series, these 12 lessons, are going to all be on Paul's theology of prayer. And uh, we're going to look at uh, quite a few of his prayers tonight. But before we do that, I want to establish the fact that we love people, and we love them in prayer because we love God. That our praying for others has as its source, its foundation, and the driving a force behind that is our love for God. You know, as we think as Christians and as a church, we, we can fall into two different, uh, there's two dangers that we have to be aware of. There's two pits that we can easily fall into as Christians, and we have to be careful not to. One thing we have to always remember is that Christians are not mere human, humanitarians. We're not just about helping people. That's not all that there is uh, about Christianity. And we must never think that serving people is the ultimate good or suppose that serving people is, is exactly the same as serving God. They're not necessarily exactly the same. Now, in Jesus' teaching, uh, the first command is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is love the Lord, Lord love your neighbor as yourself. You can see that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And Jesus there doesn't say that they are identical commandments. He, he, he actually enumerates them in terms of the priority relative to one another. We have the first, and you have the second. So there's an order there. So that's a pit we have to, to remember not to fall. It's a danger. We're not just about serving people. We're not just humanitarians. We're not just about trying to make a life, life better for people on this earth. I think that's a, a pit that the Christian church has fallen during the pandemic. 
physical health has become the ultimate good. And preserving physical health is the most important thing that the church has uh, uh, sought to do during this, these last 18 to 20 months. When the scriptures tell us that we're not to fear the one that, destroyed, that can destroy the body, but the one that can destroy body and soul in hell, that there are greater consequences to our soul than just to our body. So that, that's one pit that we don't, we're not just about making this life better. The second pit we can fall is actually the other side, right? There's two ditches in each. Well, not true, right? But a lot of roads are two ditches. You can fall one side or the other, both ditches. They're both bad places to be. The second ditch or the second pit that we must not fall into is claiming a high intimacy with God while fostering no intimacy with people. Saying that we love, we're all about God, and yet we don't want anything to do with people. We cannot testify of deep love for Christ while nurturing jealousy and bitterness toward people around us. Those two things don't go together. So these are two, the, the two pits that we might fall, the two ditches that we have to be careful not to fall, not to deviate just to the second commandment and not to deviate just to the first commandment either. So love for God and love for brothers must not be equated. They're not the same thing, but one can be tested by the other. Does it make sense? The presence of one is tested by the presence of the other. The Apostle John tells us that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, when he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So there's a connection between the two, but they're not the same, but the presence of one will require the presence of the other. So when we live up to our calling to love, we remember that in God's church, people do not set the agenda. People are the agenda. That's why the church manifests itself, through people. And if you're in ministry, often you, there's a danger of looking at people as projects, not as, well, people. And uh, we have to be careful that we don't do that. And our allegiance to God and His gospel will be demonstrated in our service to His people, especially as we pray for them. So one of the ways that we demonstrate our, God, our love for God and our love for neighbors is by praying for others that are around us. Our allegiance to Jesus, our confession of Him as Lord, entails a profound commitment to further His interests. And it doesn't take much Bible reading to realize that His interests are tied up with the interests of His people. Remember how when Paul, when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and spoke to Saul, remember what was the accusation that he laid against Saul? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, Paul wasn't, wasn't persecuting Christ. Christ was in heaven. He was persecuting the church. But Christ and the church are so united that persecuting the church is persecuting uh, Christ himself. So we joyfully confess the lordship of Christ when we ask what is best for his people in prayer. And that's why Paul's prayer is for the most part intercessions for others in thanksgiving for what God 
is doing in the lives of others. He, he, he does that because he wants to show that Christ is Lord of his life and that he wants what Christ wants, what is, which is the best thing for his people. We can gather Paul's prayers into four broad categories. Uh, I'll, I'll show you right now. So this is all 40 passages that uh, include prayer in Paul. And these 40 can be divided into four categories. One category is prayers where Paul appears to be praying as he's writing. As he's, as he's writing, he's writing the prayer that he's saying. Another category are prayer reports, where Paul tells his readers of what he prayed for them. A third category is prayer wishes or prayer requests that he makes. And a fourth is an exhortation to prayer that, that he brings before these people. So these 40 passages can be divided into that. I may have missed some. There might be others. But these are clear passages of prayer in the writings of Paul. And what I would like to do is to take a look at them, a a few of them. At least the ones in the book of Romans, and we see how far we can get. It's only 10 to 7, so we have a little bit of time. So if you grab your Bible and turn to Romans, I want us to at least get a taste for how Paul prays, so we can apply that. Romans 1. I would have lost the sword drill. (laughs) Romans 1, verses 8 through 10. says this, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So right here, two things Paul is doing. He's thanking God for, for the church, for the people in the church. And he's praying that he may be able to be with them uh, to encourage them. Uh, look at the next one in Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So he wants his, those that are closest to him, his, his ethnic group, his spiritual family to be saved. And he prays to that end. And, and he prays vehemently. If you keep on reading the chapter, he says that, that he even would give up his own salvation, as it were, if it was possible, for them to to be saved. That's the intensity of his prayers there. So you start kind of see, seeing what Paul prays, right? Uh, it, it, 
Um, he's not praying for their health necessarily, though it's not bad to pray for their health. He's not praying for, you know, tests or whatever's, which is good to pray because we're to, to bring all things in prayer to the Lord. But so far, it seems like the focus of his prayer is there a spiritual good, spiritual work, spiritual revival. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. So rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. That gives us the manner of prayer in, in Paul's mind. It, it continues steadfastly in prayer. As you read Paul's writings, the idea we have is that there's not a moment of idle thought in his heart. This, that's what he strives for, not a moment of idle thought in his mind. His mind is always engaged and, and often engaged in prayer uh, for God's people, for the spreading of the gospel, for the salvation of those that he comes in contact, for the growth of those to whom he has ministered uh, in the past, and so on. Uh, look at chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity in the church. Unity of mind, but not just for the sake of peace, but for the glory of God. Unity in the right things is the prayer of Paul. Look at verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the last one in, in, in Romans uh, 30 through 33. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the, whole, the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea, who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Strive together with prayer, with me in prayer. That's the, the, he talks about the, the church gathered, praying with him, striving in prayer. And striving is, is not a passive word. It's not a word of just sitting around doing nothing. It's actually a, a moving forward. It is a, um, a, a struggle. It is a work. It is an agonizing in prayer as we, as, as we pray for Paul together for, to a certain end. And that's something that we need to have in our church. We need to be striving in prayer together for one another with common goals to move Toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I and I, I don't know that we need more prayer times. We just use perhaps use the ones we have more effectively, more seriously. I've said in the past that if you want to pray for this whole hour, don't worry, we'll still be done at eight. I won't I won't force a lesson on you after we're done praying for a, for a whole forty minutes or whatever. 
because that would be such a great blessing to the church if we could do that, that, the, that the, we can save the Bible studying for another, another time. And you could go, you have, you have a taste, just by going through Romans, you have a taste of um, what Paul does in prayer, what prayer is in Paul's mind. And you could go through the rest of these uh, uh, passages and see that it's more of the same as Paul wants the good of the church, the spiritual good of the church. It's difficult to pray for, uh, for people if, in the church if we don't know them. So one of the things that we need to know is to get to know people. We need to, in order to pray effectively, we need to know people. We need to invest ourselves into people so that we can pray knowingly for them as Paul did for these churches. But we don't have to. We don't have... We don't have we should have known people. But if we don't know them, we still can pray for them. That's what I mean to say. Because if you look there, there are, there are passages in Colossians. And Paul did not know those people. He had never been to Colossae. He had, did not plant that church. That was a plant of the, the Ephesian church, likely. And yet, he prays with them and for them. Because there are some spiritual needs that's common to everyone. We don't, if we just know that they're human... We know how to pray for them. Does it make sense? Because no temptation, no temptation is overtaken you except what's common to men. We, we struggle with the same things. We enjoy the same things. We deal with the same things. And uh, we can pray for each other that way as well. All right, so two, two lessons in praying for, for others. Again, trying to based all on these 40 prayers. One is, as we pray for one another, we must always submit to God's definition of what is good. We pray for what's good for one another as God defines it. That means that it is very important for us to listen to the prayers of the Bible for how and what we should be praying for each other. Let the Bible dictate our prayer. Uh, The Puritans used to say that God loves to hear His own words. So pray the Bible back to God for one another. And so we need to be just saturated with the Scriptures in order to pray. Pray before you read your Bible that God would open your eyes, but then let your Bible reading translate itself into prayer. Uh, it, it, ideally, you're going to be doing that in the morning, not because there's some magic thing in the morning, but because then you, you're, you, you did it. You know, uh, you say for late, late in the day, things happen, and then you just don't get to it. So, so pray that the Lord will open your eyes. Then after, read your Bible, let your Bible, re- Bible reading flow into prayer for others. Secondly, praying for others demands that we examine our own hearts. If you're going to pray effectively for others, we need to examine our own hearts Unconfessed sin will cut us off from communication with God. Uh, Desiring to dwell in sin and refusing to confess the thing that we know is sin, it will keep us from having access to God. Uh, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. People are complaining, God is not answering our prayers. God must, must have lost his power because he's not answering our prayers. And Isaiah says, I don't know. His end, 
is not any shorter. He can still do whatever he wants. He still can hear. He can save whoever he. He can save people, rescue people. But Isaiah says, "Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear." Our sins can get in the way of our praying. So, if we wanted to pray effectively, well, in the way that's going to bring revival to the Church of Jesus Christ, we need to examine our hearts and see for there are sins there that we are treasuring and not willing to confess to God and repent. Now, often, what cuts us off from effective intercession is bitterness, resentment, grudges, and lack of a forgiving heart. It's hard to pray for others if we're holding bitterness, if we're holding grudges, if we have a heart that's not ready to forgive. Our Lord says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that you, your Father in heaven, may also forgive you your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So your prayer is not heard if you're holding grudges and bitterness toward other people in your heart. Peter tells husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them, that is the wives, with, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. If we are serious about reforming our prayer life, we must begin with our own heart. Unconfessed sin, nurtured sin, will always be a barrier between God and those He has made in His image. An unforgiving heart will harden the clouds above us, as it were, and keep our prayers from reaching the ears of God. How can we intercede for our church if we secretly hold some of its members in contempt? How can we pray for everyone in the church if we're looking down our noses on each other? How can we pray for everyone in our church if we're holding grudges and bitterness toward one another? How can we meaningfully pray for revival if what we want is some abstract notion of revival instead of revived people? Right? We, just don't want, we don't want this abstract notion of revival. We want people who have been made alive again by the Spirit of God. That's what we want. And these people have names and faces and annoying habits and all that. And we're praying for them specifically. And if we harbor bitterness and resentment, praying is little more than wasted time and effort. It doesn't do anything. Now it is high time for us to examine our, our hearts. Uh, honestly, humbly. Now it's always time to do so. But especially when we seek to approach the God whose holiness and forgiveness are the immutable standards for His people. So if we're serious about prayer, where is our heart? Is our heart free of bitterness toward each other? If it's so, then the Lord's going to bless our church. But if we are full of bitterness and grudge, then that, that prayer is not going to reach the ears of our Lord. Any thoughts or comments before we dismiss? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for um, 
given us access to you in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts before you and before us. We pray that you'd reveal it's in our hearts to ourselves that we might repent. Father, for holding grudges and bitterness toward others, we pray that you'd grant us the grace to repent from that and receive forgiveness from you. Father, we pray that our prayers not be hindered, but that you would hear them and answer them and revive us and cause us to produce great fruit for the sake of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.